Hello and welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I am your host, Kirk Hamilton, and this is basically my first episode, though I already did one episode that wasn't technically an episode, but we don't need to get into that. If you didn't listen to that one, that was about Toto's Africa, and you can find it in the feed. If you are tuning in, you are a new listener, because everyone listening to this podcast is a new listener, uh, and I thank you very much for listening. I'm really excited to be doing this. I think we're going to be doing two uh, every two weeks for a little while, just to sort of see how it goes. And, uh, and yeah, I think it should be a good time. I'm going to mostly talk about songs and songwriting and how songs work, but we will also probably talk about other kinds of music, including movie music, video game music, any kind of music. It's all music, and it's all very good. For today, I would like to talk about one of my very favorite songs on one of my very favorite albums. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you, as if you didn't read the title of this episode and don't already know what song I'm going to be talking about. So close your eyes and pretend you didn't do that, and just listen to these notes and tell me if you recognize them. Hmm, not very exciting. Just a C and a B flat. Okay, let me add another note, see if you recognize this. Probably getting a little bit warmer, right? All right, let's add one more note and see if you can recognize what song it is. That's right, today we're going to be talking about You Can Call Me Owl by the one and only Mr. Paul Simon. A man walks down the street, he says, Why am I soft in the middle now? All right, so this song is this is a really good song. Um, one of my favorite songs on one of my favorite albums, as I said, uh, is featured as a single off of Paul Simon's 1986 album Graceland, which I actually didn't think of it as a song from Graceland for a really long time. I like. I'm guessing maybe some people listening to this thought of it mostly as the song that had Chevy Chase in the video and was really funny and made me laugh when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, and I would stay home, uh, I would stay home sick, you know, in the sort of late 80s and early 90s. I would watch VH1 and I would watch MTV. I think as MTV had fewer and fewer music videos, I found that I would watch um, I would watch VH1 a little bit more. But I remember seeing the video for this in which Chevy Chase famously kind of comes out with Paul Simon and the two of them just sort of sit in this white room and Chevy Chase lip syncs the entire song as though he's Paul Simon with these really fast lyrics. And, they, and then Paul Simon is just sitting there singing the backup parts and they kind of pantomime the instruments. It's all very funny. If you haven't seen the video, check it out. But for a long time, I just thought of this song as that song. It was the song from that video. And then way later in life, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago only, I really listened to Graceland all the way through. Graceland is an amazing album. Obviously, everybody probably knows that. A lot of people know that. Um, But it was something that I just sort of wasn't fully aware of until I listened to it. But it is an incredible album. And this song actually fits into the album, I think, in an interesting way and um, sort of works better in the context of the album than it does on its own, even though I think that it works really well on its own. 
So, why does this song work so well? So, the concept, I guess, that I really want to focus on with You Can Call Me Al is the concept of layering, because I think that this song, uh, layering is the key to what makes this song good. So, when I'm talking about layering, I'm just talking about how to take something really simple and through the application of clever sonic and musical layers, make it more interesting and more varied. And the reason that you need to use layers in a song like this is because harmonically, it's really, really simple. Um, I played the little riff from the beginning there, but if you actually go and listen to the bass line, that's where you can start to get at the kind of remarkable simplicity of this song. Let's start by just listening to the groove that plays at the beginning of the song, which is kind of the basic foundational groove. So let's, let's listen to that. Now, when you listen to that, your ear is probably drawn to that initial riff that I played on the piano, which is understandable. That's kind of high in the mix. It's right there in your face. It's high in the arrangement as well. Um, it's the sort of thing your ear is going to be drawn to. But actually, and we're going to listen to this again, but I want you to redirect your ear to the bass line. Now, the bass on this track, like a lot of Graceland, is played by South African bassist Bagiti Kumalo, who is amazing and is a huge part of why Graceland is so good and why this tune is so good. We're going to talk a lot about his bass playing on this track today. Um, but so check this out. Listen to it again and listen to what the bass is doing. So what you're probably noticing is that he's not really playing very many notes. It's basically just this. So the reason the bass line is simple is because You Can Call Me Al is really just three chords, pretty much. Um, it's kind of just centers around two chords and uses another one to pass between them. This tune is an F, so the main, the main chord that you're going to hear is an F chord, which sounds like this. And then uh, it also has a B flat, which is the four chord, and that sounds like this. So it mainly focuses on those two chords, the F and the B flat, but what it does is it sort of goes from F to B flat, and in between, it plays a C, which is the five chord. So it kind of sounds like this. And that's it. That's the whole song. There's no bridge in this song. There is no uh, B section. There's There are no minor chords. It's just one, five, and four. Literally, basically, the three most common chords in all of pop music just placed back to back and played over and over and over again on a loop. So what's amazing about You Can Call Me Al is that through smart arrangement, orchestration, mixing, and everything else, it sounds varied and interesting. It kind of goes on this whole journey, but it never changes chords. It's basically just a vamp of just F, C, B flat, C, F over and over and over again. So let's listen to a few different permutations of that extremely simple chord progression and how they express themselves in this song. Okay, so first... There's, there's the intro that you already heard, and then there is the verse. So this is what the verse sounds like. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle of the rest of my life? So All right, so that's really, really simple. What they've done is they've taken out the da-da-da-da, and you've just got bass, Isaac Michelli's drumming, a really simple little guitar part, and Paul Simon's voice. So if you listen, that guitar part is actually really neat and kind of repeats a lot through the tune. It sort of sounds like this.
So it's kind of behind in the mix, but if you listen, you can hear it. So listen again. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need so already it sounds pretty different than, you know, the intro to the song, even though it's those same three chords, just like the rest of the song playing over and over and again. So something that you're also probably hearing in this intro that you hear quite a bit more uh, prominently in the next section is Bagiti Kamala's bass lines, which are bananas. He's playing very, very percussively, and that mixes with the drumming, and that's kind of mixing just this low percussive part of the tune. So after the first part of the verse, then uh, the second part of the verse kind of plays, which is, I guess, kind of the pre-chorus, and that's where things get even more rhythmic, even more bass-focused, and that part sounds like this. So what you've got going on there are just a few subtle differences from the verse. The guitar is totally dropped out, which you may not even notice. It's hard to notice the absence of something unless you've noticed it in the first place. But now, hopefully, when you listen to this song, you'll notice that. And they've added background vocals going, mm kind of making that sound. And the bass is also kind of making that sound. So it's a subtly different groove. Um, meanwhile, uh, Bakiti Kamalo is just totally going off at this point. And he always does in these parts of the song. He's just playing a ton of stuff. And um, and it just, it, it, it kind of forms a different sort of a groove that then sets up the chorus really beautifully. So when the chorus comes back in, of course, everybody knows the chorus of this song. It sounds like this. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty, Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. So that's kind of the baseline that the song establishes. There are these sort of three basic versions of the group. There's the open one that's the verse with that kind of slippery guitar part going on very subtly behind it. Then the guitar drops out and it gets a little bit more percussive and adds that that background vocal. And then the chorus comes and the chorus groove adds kind of a whole bunch of stuff that I'll talk about in a second. But um, those are the sort of three layers and it's accompanied by changes in the ways that Paul Simon is singing. So he begins actually really singing on the chorus, which kind of brings up the energy level and lets you know, okay, we're hearing the chorus. And of course it also has the title of the song, You Can Call Me Al, in it. So th those are kind of the, the basic building blocks they're working with, but then they do a lot more layering toward the end of this song, and it's the part that I think is really, really fun, is when they start adding in more um, instruments. So first of all, uh, Paul Simon comes out of the second chorus, and he goes to the C, to the high G, to the F, which is a much more dramatic place in the male vocal register. It lets him kind of get a high note to sing. And right after that comes this really wonderful penny whistle solo by Morris Goldberg. And the penny whistle solo is probably the closest thing to a bridge that this song has. It's still the same chord progression, but it just is such a different sound and a different sort of uh, vibe um, once the penny whistle begins playing. And by the end of the solo, it almost sounds like a duet between the bass and the penny whistle. I really love the penny whistle solo. that the bass follows the form of the verse during the penny whistle solo. You know, he begins that doom, doom kind of thing uh, underneath the solo so it keeps the, the integrity of the song's form. And so then, of course, comes the stop time. Horns come back in, and we begin layering more instruments in. Now, this horn section is bananas. I did not actually know who had played horns on this record until I looked it up. But um, you've got John Faddis, Lou Soloff, Randy Brecker all playing trumpet. Those are just extremely heavy hitters. Alan Rubin playing trumpet. Um, also, 
uh, Ronnie Cuber playing bass and Barry Sax. Ronnie Cuber is a really, really uh, well-known, really amazing Barry Sax player. And you can hear the bass sax actually on that horn break right here. One thing that I like about the way that this is recorded is how much delay they use on everything. There's a kind of a delay on the vocals as well that you can pick up if you're listening to it. You can really hear it on the horns, though. It's like, and there's that, that kind of delayed note behind it. It sounds like this. Hear it? Here it is an even better focus. So it's not even really that possible to hear, except when there's enough space for it to sound back. But that first note is the horns. The second note is just the delay effect. It's not the note that the horns are playing. Um, there's a lot of that, so it makes the horns just kind of sound bigger and bouncier like they're moving around. So after that, we got all kinds of stuff that happens. I don't know. It's just, we're going to go through them really quickly. There's one cool thing you'll start to hear in the second chorus that's actually in the first chorus is that they're actually backup vocalists singing the little riff. They kind of go, shoo! And you can you can hear them really well. The sh in particular really sticks out. Uh, check it out. Listen for it. And then we've got this really cool little part where Paul Simon actually sings along with that little slippery guitar part that played under the verses initially, uh, really highlighting it and giving him a cool little vocal riff to do. I just always sort of liked how he sings along with that part. It makes me feel like they were just sitting in the studio and he realized, yeah, I'm going to sing with that part. It feels like they're using every part of the arrangement buffalo or something. And um, it sort of contributes to the feeling of layers. They're bringing different layers up and put different layers down at, at various points in this song. So then we get some hand drumming, some percussion in there. Which sets up probably the most famous bass solo break in recorded history. So my favorite thing about that bass solo, in addition to it just being awesome, is that it's not actually really possible to play that on the bass. I mean, don't get me wrong, Bugitu Kamalo is an amazing bass player, but the way they did it is he kind of was slapping in the studio, and then uh, halfway through the line, they reverse the tape, and so it goes backwards. So the first part of it is him playing. And then the next part is also him playing, but the tape has been reversed. It's such a fun bass solo because it starts out really impressive. You know, you're like, oh, this guy is slapping the bass. It sounds really, really good. And then something impossible happens halfway through. And even if you're not totally sure what you're listening to, I think you're kind of aware that it just something is off, but you don't know what. But it's so in the pocket and grooving so hard. And then it lands so hard back when the band comes in that you don't even have time to really process what it was that sounded wrong. It just sounds like you kind of heard a magic trick, you know, an, an auditory magic trick. And I, I really love that about that solo. So once the solo happens, that kind of sets up the end of the song. And then you just get everything layered in at once, which is what any simple song like this that's doing a lot with layering tends to do at the end. And it's really triumphant. Um, the closing groove of You Can Call Me Out has everything in it. It's actually during this part that one of my favorite things in the whole song happens, and I'm not totally sure what instrument it is. It's either a bass high up on the neck or a muted guitar. It's this kind of bop, 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 Check it out. It's 
is something in the horn arrangement there actually that I really like is that they go from the basic version of playing the riff, which sounds like this. But then on the next phrase, they move the whole thing up one step in the chord. So it's the same chord, but the voicing goes up a step. So it's just a little more intense and triumphant than anything that's played in the song so far. And so instead of this, you have this. So when you play one version of the horn part followed by the other higher version, you kind of get this this triumphant coming home feeling like, all right, here we are, we're at the end of the song, it's really happening, and the transition is really cool. Here we go. And then these killer backup vocal lines come in. And uh, the whole thing is just layered so beautifully. I mean, every idea that's been sort of developed over the course of the song comes back into it at the end in the arrangement in different ways. And it, you know, each one leads into the other one. So there are all these little ideas going on that you wouldn't really notice if you were just kind of dancing to the song, which is fine. I mean, it's got a great groove. It's really fun to dance to. But when I really sat down for the first time and listened to the song, I was amazed at just how intricate and well put together it is. It's a really, really wonderful song on a wonderful album that I'll probably talk about uh, more on this podcast in the future. But for now, it's just one of many songs on Graceland that I really, really like. So that'll do it for this week's episode. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Strong Songs to talk about another good song. I would love to hear from you what you think of the show. I'd love to hear feedback, positive or negative, things you think I should do, songs you think I should check out, really anything. The easiest way to get in touch with me is strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just tweet at me, at Kirk Hamilton, another easy way to do it. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. 